Welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Cup of Nurses podcast. We're your hosts, Matt Sartrick and myself, Peter Fendura. We got a couple of topics for you guys today. We're going to talk about abortion, aspirin, um, almond milk, and uh, some new technology called CRISPR. The CRISPR. Welcome guys. Thank you for watching. Whoever watches, whoever listens, thank you as well. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. And give us some feedback and comment what you guys want to hear. So the main topic that we start off today is about aspirin. And up until this point, for the past few decades, aspirin has been used as the main secondary prevention drug for anybody that has a history or had a heart attack or a stroke. Exactly. And anybody that is a risk for, or not even had one, and it was used. Yeah, so it was common knowledge and common practice that a physician would prescribe aspirin or they would recommend you to get an over-the-counter aspirin of 81 milligrams and to just take it to prevent um, any kind of stroke or any kind of kind of clots forming. Yeah, and the reason why aspirin is used for this is because it's an ANSAID. So not only does it work for pain, it also is a non-steroid drug which helps reduce inflammation. And um, around our body, we have like little platelets um, kind of circulating around. And what they do is, let's just say you get a cut, they go to that site and they kind of patch it up nicely and create like this wall to prevent you from bleeding. Well, aspirin actually takes, um, aspirin the drug kind of makes your platelets sticky and makes them not stick. So when it comes to having a heart attack or a stroke, let's just think about it like you have like a plumbing system and you have like this nice giant opening of your veins, blood flow, and what starts happening is plaque starts forming, things, you know, cholesterol, things like that, all this um, unsanitary lifestyle, and you start getting occluded. So let's just say you have an artery, now it's like half the size. And, and the worst thing that could happen is that plaque could break off, and it breaks off, it creates like this cascade of more clotting, which completely could reduce your um, blood supply. So that's a heart attack. Let's just say that clot travels up to their brain, boom, becomes a stroke. So we use aspirin for the longest time. And now the American Heart Association and the American um, College of Cardiology basically said that it is not going to be the main drug to be used. Yeah, just like with any kind of other medication, there it does have its side effects. And in this case, since it, you could say, kind of slows down uh, the process of uh, clotting up um a bleeding um, artery or, or vein, something that, that, that bleeds, so the platelets come and patch it up. This makes you more prone to GI bleeds or bleeding somewhere else, like the stomach. It does affect the stomach lining. Um, you're more prone to um, stomach ulcers, uh, GI bleeds, and that kind of, uh, those kind of, um, you could say, um, problems, which are more prone in um, older adults if you're above 70, for the most part. <clears throat> and any kind of stress, like in the hospital, you're more, more prone to GI bleeds. Yeah, so anybody that's over the age of 70, it's actually not beneficial for you to take the aspirin if you have no history of because it could do a lot worse than good for you. And let's just say anybody that has no history of heart attack, no history of stroke, you really shouldn't be taking an aspirin. Yeah. So, so current practices, if you don't have any history or any or a low probability of getting a, um, a heart attack or a stroke, you should not be taking aspirin. And if you're physician recommends that you take aspirin, um, you should probably second guess that maybe they might not be caught up on the like the new d- details and new, new research, but if you're at no risk or low risk for 
struggle heart attack, you should not just don't yeah. eat food. Take Tell it. them it's from the Cup of Nurses podcast. Um, Source, American Heart Association. You'll find all the information there regarding aspirin. So next topic, um, which is kind of big and trendy right now, I think Alabama, the governor, her name is Governor K. Ivey, yeah. or I, whatever, she passed this basically signed this law that completely bans abortion. So not only, let's just say you're raped or like there's some incest happening, you cannot get abortion at all. It's completely legal. And let's just say a physician were to... Completely um, illegal. Completely illegal, sorry. And let's just say a physician were to perform some kind of abortion, well, it's a class A felony, which is punishable up to 99 years in prison. So so no under, un, so under no circumstance, you cannot get an abortion in Alabama. No matter what happens, you cannot get it. You'll be taken to court, and so will the physician, which is pretty drastic because most states are still kind of on a border or they're leaning towards maybe legalizing certain abortions compared to none, but I guess Alabama went the whole way and said no. What's your viewpoint on abortion? I know it's a pretty, you know, um, controversial topic here. It is, it, is contr- it is a controversial topic. I don't think there's one right answer. Um, I think a lot of people would agree with me that abortion should be legal in certain circumstances. I'm like completely making it legal for abortion, or sorry, <laughs> completely making abortion illegal under every circumstance. I don't think that's the right way to do it. Uh, for example, rape. I feel like you should be able to abort a child that you didn't, did not want in that kind of circumstance. Or if it impacts the mother, so if the baby is causing the mother complications that can possibly lead to death. I think there's a rule for that. Oh, actually, no, and this under, is Alabama. Yeah, so under, I guess there. I guess it varies by state, but there is, um, I'm not sure if it's like a law, but there's some kind of gray area where if a mother comes in and she has a baby and a baby is uh, She's a risk, risk for to dying, her life. Basically. So it's, I think it's believe it's up to the physicians to decide if they should take the baby out and have the mother live or it's up to the mother. I'm not sure how that um, exactly works. But I believe that if the baby is causing damage or potential death to the mother, I think she should be able to say, hey, I want to abort this baby. Definitely circumstances. Same with incest. If, you know, that's... that's yeah. And both we agree that's pretty messed up. I think you should definitely be able to abort a baby in that kind of situation. But if you're using abortion as another way to, um, as another way of like contraception, I think that's that's not right. That's wrong, and it kind of creates this cascade of I could just get the baby out, and like that like ruins morals. To be honest, it does ruin morals, and you have no consequences for sex initially. You know, everybody's going to be having sex with everybody because you're not going to worry about getting pregnant because you could either be on a birth control or if you do get pregnant, you just just abort it whenever you want, which yeah. is just a waste of life if you think about it. And then another state, um, Georgia. So May 7th, the governor of Georgia, his name, his name is Brian Kemp. He signed a bill that basically would ban all of abortion when there's a fetal heart rate. So it takes an ultrasound machine to basically check for the baby. If there's a fetal heart rate, abortion is illegal, which is a little bit better because a fetal heart rate is detected within, I think, six weeks. So you have that leeway, let's just say there's rape or there's some kind of incident you have that right to get an abortion still. And then after six, you know, six weeks, there's technically life now. There's the baby's actually has a heartbeat. It's illegal. So that's actually a less cruel way of implementing abortion law. Yeah, it is a bit less cruel way, but um, I've never had a baby, but I don't think you really feel like you have something growing in you past. We we can't describe that feeling, guys, unfortunately. Yeah, if any females out there, but I'm pretty sure it takes a lot longer for women to feel that she has something growing in her probably longer than six weeks, yeah. which is still kind of unfair. Because um, imagine if if you get raped, that's not really something you talk about. 
it's kind of hard for an individual to come out and say, hey, I got raped. And what if it takes her five weeks and she doesn't get, you know, uh, practice test until like week number seven or eight and she did get raped and she didn't come out till like, you know, two months afterwards. It's kind of really too late. Yeah. And there's also like, let's just say in high school, you get bullied. Like if you're looking back at things, it's so easy to be like, well, why didn't you just tell somebody? Why don't you tell a grown up or why didn't you do that? Well, in that moment, all that pressure and everything, you just didn't speak out and you were holding everything in. So I could imagine somebody that's like a rape victim or something, you know, is scared to tell either, you know, police or their own family. And it just gets, you know, pushed away. Yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty scary. But now I think about it with the, with the whole fetal heart, uh, the heart rate, that's like people would consider that to be life. But what about those um, cells, that we, those cardiac cells that we grow in a, like a Petri dish? They technically have a heartbeat, you know, because they're all, because cardiac muscles have the, like the pacemaker. Yeah. So if people argue that life starts with, with, like a, with like a heartbeat or like a pulse, then technically those cells are living as well, right? Yeah. I mean, all life is valuable and all life matters. And that's where this gray area happens of, you know, this topic of abortion. We just, there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah, it's just your viewpoint. It's just your ethics on things. Yeah, healthcare isn't plain white and black. There's a lot of gray, a lot of eth- ethical stuff, especially now with the new technology coming out and everything that's going on in the world. It's not... Yes or no anymore. It's not. It's completely understandable. Especially like being on life support and being like hooked up to machines. Like we could prolong your life for weeks and days, but we have to find a balance being what's your quality of life and whether is that life worth living for the the pain and suffering that you're enduring. You know what I mean? Completely agree. And that's one of my viewpoints on like um, (coughs) getting like a tracheostomy, for example. Like that patient is alive and all that and I'm very happy for him, but that patient is in a nursing home. They don't get taken care of that well, unfortunately, or they're bed bound for a very long time. They get created pressure ulcers. They're very high risk of pneumonia. They keep coming back to the hospital with the same stuff. They get pneumonia, they get septic, they come back, you give them antibiotics, they leave, they come back in a week or two, and it's just this ongoing cycle. And then you have to ask yourself, is that, how is that person's quality of life? Is he truly happy? Or is it family members that are like holding on to them because they can't let go and they're creating more suffering within themselves and the family member? Yeah. The, but the one thing we got to really consider as nurses is we see the worst of things. We only see the recurring patients that come back because they're sick and they don't want to adhere to the, like the, the plan or the way their life is supposed to be managed and they did come back. But what we don't see is when things actually work like a, Something like you said, someone gets a trach and they get readmitted for pneumonia. There's a lot of times people get, get trachs and they live completely fine. We just don't see them. We forget about them because they're out in society. They're, they're having fun. They're living life. We just see the, the bad ones. They, they come back. They, re, they get readmitted. People have elevads. They have machines in their heart. And they, they live fine. We just don't see them. We don't see them because we work in the hospital. We only see them when something, hit, um, what kind of, when something bad happens. That is a good it's kind of It's a little bit unfair to say... Um, that you shouldn't do one thing because you are gonna have a poor quality of life because I've seen people get this done and they get a poor quality of life. It's kind of, you can't just generalize that, you know, because people would live happily with tricks. That is true. Thanks for shining some perspective there, PD. Um, next topic that we're gonna touch about is almond milk. I'm sure everybody watched like documentaries about the cowspiracy um, and this viewpoint that cows are emitting a lot of like methane gas and it's bad for the environment. But a lot of people don't know that they're choosing a healthier route. So they're, they're um, trying a plant-based milk, but we don't know that it's harming the environment just as much. 
So we did some research about almond milk and just to kind of shed some light, 80% of almonds are grown in California. And California is also the state that has a lot of droughts and they've had a pretty bad drought period. And we're not realizing that how much water it's taking to consume or to produce almond milk. So I think we looked up stats here. Um, it takes 1.1 gallon of water, which is five liters to grow one almond. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. Very significant amount, just for yeah. almonds. Imagine how much plants could be alive and be grown with that much. Yeah, a lot of people, um, a lot of people from the vegan community are like people that are really plant-based. They like to bash on people that eat animals. But if you think about it, with this almond milk scenario, um, it does use up less water than raising like a cow for milk. But with that cow, you're getting milk, and you, you know, getting you're getting beef, you're getting other other things. It's being know? it's being supplied to a wider population compared to just making almonds. Exactly. And in 2015, um, Blue Diamond Company, or it's called British Almond Breeze, um, basically any almond milk you go buy, it's probably that company because it's California based. There was a lawsuit because only 2% of the whole ingredients in that carton of milk actually um, had almonds in them, which is crazy. And to give you a scenario, a handful of almonds, which is one serving, is about 160 calories compared to 30 calories in that milk. That handful of almonds has six grams of protein, and your cup of almond milk has only one gram. So where are the nutritional values there? And we, are, you know, we look at the back of the nutritional label and we see, oh, there's a vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D. But we're not realizing that these companies are just fortifying their product with vitamins and they're not really from an actual plant source. Yeah, I'm not sure um, what the nutritional difference is between like synthetic um, vitamin B12 and actual vitamin B12, but I'm sure it's not identical. I'm sure it has, has um, I'm sure natural B12 probably is a lot healthier for you than like the synthetic B12. And I was very unfair that, like you were saying, that what is like 2% of almond milk is actual almonds. Yeah. Like, think about it. If only 2% of the almond milk is almonds, the rest of it's like food coloring, um, just water and flavor. But you, but you as a shopper, what are you buying almond milk for? You're buying it for the sake of almonds. You're buying it for that product, for that plant that you want to consume. But yet the manufacturer buying it from you is lying to you. That's, that's super, that's, that's ridiculous. That's super unfair. Yeah. And they'll label it almond milk, you know. So back to like the environmental talk. Um, if you want to look for a different, let's just say, alternative to almond milk and you still want to stay away from dairy, by all means, the next best thing that's that leads like, uh, that leaves like the least digital, or not digital, um, environmental footprint on the environment would be uh, pea milk. Yeah, pea milk and coconut milk. We've actually had pea milk last week for the first time. Um, it wasn't bad. I wouldn't probably eat it with my cereal. I'd probably maybe drink it once in a while. But it's just, I guess it's a little bit like an acquired taste. It doesn't taste anything like peas. But like, it, it uses a significantly less amount of water to produce than almond milk or, or dairy milk. So if you're very pro-environment, you should probably ditch your almond milk and either choose coconut milk or choose pea milk. Yeah, I actually didn't mind it at all. I, was, I thought it was pretty good. Just something new. It's okay. Maybe you'll just share with that one day. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Chocolate milk's good, though. I like chocolate milk. That was good. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, another thing we're going to talk about today, guys, is something called CRISPR-Cas9. Um, CRISPR is it's a system. Uh, it's mainly Hold in on, guys. Single... Take a deep breath before yeah. we do this, because Peter's about to go in on some crazy knowledge about a 
this question that he found online. Yeah. Actually, I found this out um, from a tattoo artist um, in Chicago. My girlfriend was getting a tattoo, and he randomly brought this up. I don't know how we got into the subject, but but it's it's that's how it happened. You researched it, you liked it, and here we are. Yeah. So CRISPR Cas9, it's basically um, function of the immune system of a single cell organism like bacteria. So as we know, if it's a single cell organism, it only has one cell. Unlike us humans, we have multiple cells. When something attacks us or affects us, like a virus or a different kind of bacteria, we could sacrifice a few cells for the sake of our lives. Single cell organisms do not have that kind of benefit. So what they have is called CRISPR and Cas9. That's their way of fighting like a virus off. So you think Let, CRISPR- let's put the viewer in the perspective. Thinking about it, you're on this giant lake and you're like the single individual in this giant lake full of different humans, fish, and predators, and how are you supposed to survive? If there was 10 of you, maybe we could throw a guy, one guy in the water to find out what's on that side of the lake, but here, it's just you and it's survival. So bacteria figured out a way to survive, right? The longest and how to stay, you know, evolution basically, right? Yeah, I guess pretty much it'd be evolution. evolution. But, but this is how basically our immune system works, is every time a virus enters, this thing called CRISPR-Cas9. Uh, CRISPR is the whole system. Cas9 is just an enzyme that, that does some of the work. So what happens is this virus enters the, the bacterial cell and then when it attacks the nucleus, because what viruses do is they implant their DNA and RNA into the bacterial RNA or DNA or our RNA and DNA. So what this system does is it actually takes a copy of the virus's DNA or RNA and it saves it and archives it. And it keeps on continuously with each virus. And that's how it learns on what's going to hurt them and what's okay to enter. So like I said, this is the archive. So what happens is the CRISPR is the archive. So this bacteria is basically learning every single thing that it has come in contact with. And it's keeping this book of memories, technically. Or just, just, just viral. Just Well, in this essence, just viral infections that could harm them. And they have like this playbook just kind of ready to go, right? Just copies of the viral okay. DNA or RNA. And then what Cas9 does, Cas9 is an enzyme or I believe a protein, I'm pretty sure, I'm not sure if they're interchangeable. But what Cas9 actually does is it actually takes that viral DNA that's stored and it goes out and finds it and it cuts it. And then when it cuts it, that part of the DNA RNA is unable to function, so it gets destroyed. So ideally what scientists did nowadays is they found out that the CRISPR and Cas9 can be put into different kinds of cells, like eukaryotic cells, like human cells, human tissue, and it works just the way it does in, in bacteria. So this is a very new thing going on, and it has a lot of potential, especially with gene editing. And also has a lot of ethical issues and moral issues that we're still not ready maybe to take into consideration, probably, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like slowly we're kind of... Um, dabbling into the ethical stuff. Now we're kind of more trying to figure stuff out. We're still trying to figure out abortions here, and now we're jumping into the topic of gene editing, and I don't know if we as a society are probably ready to tackle that. I'm sure we are if it's for the better, correct? There has to be that fine line. Yeah, we always thought about life as in, um, like you think about natural selection and random mutation. We're now entering... um, the time where we have unnatural selection and um, like specific random mutations. So before everything was done at random and by chance, now we could actually have the potential to to change the future of our bodies and about everybody else. AK, we're able to manipulate our own DNA. 
Which, yeah. Which, which in essence, is playing with God's hands, if that's what you consider it. Yeah, it has, uh, of course, it has its positive and negative. It's like I said, it's healthcare, so a lot of gray area. Uh, but some of the capabilities of this CRISPR um, Cas9 system is we could actually cut out bad DNA. We could add on more DNA or we could replace DNA. Um, another thing that we could do. I actually is, want to cut you off for a ahead. second. So, for those people that are trying to like visualize this, we have to visualize DNA, correct? So, you know how you have the double helix which spirals, and on DNA you have little nucleotides, and they're all labeled A, B, C, D, E, whatever, right? And those that's our genetic information. That's our code. And what this technology is able to do is able to cut the bad code, which is let's just say causing you to be at risk for a specific disease. Like, let's just say, I think there was research that they could maybe stop HIV, correct? Yeah. So they would go into your little DNA and they would cut the bad DNA that's, the, the bad code in the DNA that would make you susceptible to HIV and just implant some other code that will prevent that from happening, right? Or like some kind of other diseases and just hope for the best technically right now, right? Because we don't have enough information and history of what would happen. Uh, well, yeah, we don't actually. We're not actually one hundred percent sure if that'll that'll work. Um, but the technology that they came up recently is that before we were just able to cut out the bad part of the DNA, and then hopefully the DNA puts itself back together properly. But now what we could do is we could actually cut it out and put it, like you said, put something else in there in the meantime. Um, but this is such new technology that we don't know what the repercussions are when we fully genetically modify a human. Or what a, the offspring, offspring is going to be of that, of that human. Cause and let's just say this already happened, correct? It's well, verified that, the, that they already use this technology to grow a pair of twins in China. Yeah, they, that was a, the last recently. But they were more successful in other things like, let's say, like plants. Okay. They, could, they figured out how to change colors of um, some ja like a Japanese flower that was only purple and they were able to change it to white. So that was done fairly successfully. Um, they're also trying to work on how to change animal organs to fit human organs. So one example was they tried to put a pig's heart into a human um, as like a trial. Um, it wasn't successful. The person ended up dying two weeks after. But using CRISPR, there's actually two issues if you're using um, animal tissue and putting in human tissue. First one is rejection because it's a foreign, um, foreign tissue so your body doesn't really know what to do with it. And the second issue is uh, infections and like diseases because certain diseases can cross between animals. So there's like a retrovirus that affects pigs and humans and it could affect both, both of them because there are certain viruses and bacteria that could only affect a certain animal. But there's also viruses and bacteria that it could affect like two at the same time or like, you know, multiple species. So what they're trying to do or what they did for a pig's heart is they were able to turn off um, a gene that causes a specific retrovirus that can affect humans and pigs. So the chance of you putting that heart in a human, the chance of you getting that virus is, is, is 0%, basically. Wow. So instead of you being at risk for that virus and um, rejection, now you're just at risk for rejection. So now you're trying to mess, mess with that. So you, you know how like there's like those like lab pictures of like a mouse with like a ear sticking out of it. So they are they using CRISPR technology to manipulate that, like the rat's structure where it has like an ear on top of its back instead. Well, I mean, they I'm sure they can. Um, that's probably more of like a accidental mutation. Okay. 
But what I was reading on before is that what they are also doing is trying to find out more of what genes cause certain things, like what genes um, cause you to have blue eyes, for example. They can use that with CRISPR by just by cutting out the DNA strand and just leaving it blank to see what kind of turns off. So guys, that's basically designer babies. And that leads into like the ethical part of things. Like, let's just say in the next five years, we are going to be able to go to the store and pick out a freaking baby, basically. You're going to be able to say, I want this kind of nose. I want these kind of eyes. No, no, no. Those lips are a little too luscious. Make them a little smaller. Like, imagine making a designer baby. Like, what is life in that case? What is a creation of life? What's the beauty of that life when you could genetically code your baby to your perfection of your you know your idea of that yeah that's I crazy mean, personally um i'm not really too against it i'm completely for it especially the aspect of CRISPR being used to treat genetic disease like hunting disease yeah uh, like you said those uh babies in china with the doctor so a doctor was able he did, actually unethically he didn't tell the family it's what he was doing illegally yeah so he did he was able to turn off uh the genetic component of being susceptible to hiv because as humans when we are born we're all susceptible to hiv what he was able to do is actually locate that that, that genetic code and and turn it off so these twins are technically um hiv they're unable to get hiv that's crazy um, so like i said it happened last year so these twins are st- we're not sure if it's if it works or not now the ethical thing is like do you try and infect these babies with hiv do you just when they grow up, do you let them have, have kids? Like, how is that going to affect their kids since they're genetically modified? Yeah, and we're not realizing that just like cloning and just like mutations and just like every body has a cancer cell, right? And we're killing off these cancer cells, but eventually they keep mutating and changing and it's creating cancer. We're, we're going to create one generation of these clones, let's just say, and then what's going to happen another generation, another generation? Because eventually the DNAs between two partners are going to be crisscrossing and you're going to be creating mutations of that clone. And what could happen? What if there's error? Because it's not, you know, nature's, the reason why nature is beautiful because it's made naturally, correct? Yeah. Now we're going to be editing, you know, what's going to happen three generations of that clone? What's going to happen to it? I don't know. I don't, you never know. You just don't know. And I'm, and I'm, all, I'm all for this technology. I'm all for this, this getting better. Um, I mean, I would love to edit a baby in the future if that's possible. But I doubt it's going to happen like any with the next 10 years, I doubt. I think it's cool that we're able to prevent diseases and we're able to, let's just say, you you won't get this, but where do we draw the line from the ethical standpoint and say, this is too much? Because just like, look at, um, trying to, what's it like a very controversial scientific thing that has come out that really changed things? That changed things? Like cloning, like cloning sheep? Probably cloning. Or let's just say, lab-grown meat. We might feel very bad about eating meat that's grown in the um, laboratory, but in the next few years, maybe our environment is going to get so bad or we're going to find all this research that let's eat meat that's maybe basically made by scientists. Yeah, there's a company out there that went public that's um, grows meat in a lab. I, pref- I mean, I don't know how it tastes or how it works, but if it tastes just as good as beef and has the same nutrition content, I mean, whatever, I guess I'll be all, all for it. But then what are we going to do with all those cows? It's not going to stop having cows and you can have them as pets. Maybe we could take those cows, use some CRISPR technology so they can make almond milk and just so we could save all that damn water. Yeah. Well, actually what they could do is with fruit is uh, with ground cherries, 
they're not very desirable. Well, they taste good. I've heard it's like a combination between like a mango and like a citrus fruit. But the main issue with those is that they um, they grow very large and they like to take over territory. So what these um, scientists were able to do is actually um, make these these ground cherries smaller, more more compact. So they grow the same amount of cherries, but at a more compact area. So they take over less less area, and they also were able to grow them twenty five percent bigger. Wow. So it's genetically modified organisms, basically CRISPR in a way, because we're basically able to take corn, change genetic information on that corn, and make it less susceptible to droughts and famines, and it could withstand colder temperatures. Yeah, CRISPR is definitely something like that. It's gene editing. Okay. There's different ways to do it. CRISPR is, stands out because it's um, it's costs the mechanism. a lot. Yeah, it costs a lot less than any other gene editing thing okay. out there currently. But the only thing with it is it hasn't been used as much as all the other ones. But the reasons why it's so popular and so big is because it's so easy to do and, and it's so cost effective. Okay. And so many potential. Because you could, you could naturally take any kind of DNA or RNA and, and change it up. And it's very accurate. So what do you think is happening in Area 51 then? I if, have no idea, but I'm about to watch a documentary pretty soon. If the um, 1970s, they had technology about fingerprint scanning, and then it came to be in like 2005, imagine what's gonna what's already out there that's known. Yeah, if this guy, if we already heard on the news that this man from China was able to turn off the HIV gene in babies, there's probably some more crazier stuff going on out there, yeah. for sure. And for it's sure. kind of cool that these people are stepping out and doing these things because the truth should be out there. And then we as a society should make our own decisions, whether that's morally or ethically correct or not. Yeah. It's a huge gray area, though. I'm completely for it. I think we should genetically modify whatever. As long as it, the benefits outweigh the risks. We don't know the risks. We that's don't. That's like all these cell phones and all this technology, all this Wi-Fi, all this Bluetooth. 5G. 5G right now, they're all hooked up to. How do we know it's not like altering some genes in our body? How do you know that that radiation, that the companies are saying it's safe is possibly causing harm to us because there are scans, CT scans that are basically you talking on the phone is um, heating up your side of the brain, correct? Yeah. And where cell phones have been out for what, the last 25 years, 30 years. And that there hasn't been a whole generation that had cell phones on them. We're only gonna, we're gonna be probably one of those generations that have been having a long-term cell phone use and what are going to be the repercussions of that? Yeah, I think it's safe to say that in our lifetime, we're going to have somebody that dies because of cell phone use. It's completely, it's completely possible. Yeah, just like truck drivers that have brain tumors. They're very susceptible to it because they have the Bluetooth on for 16 hours a day or whatever. Yeah, A lot of times when this technology gets implemented, implemented, people or the companies don't do large-scale experiments, so they're not 100% sure how this is going to work. They have like small group studies that say, yeah, it's safe, but then if you put it on a global and a worldwide scale, it has a lot more repercussions. And then when it gets engraved in our daily life and it we use it every day, it's a lot harder to get rid of. Like imagine, put away your, imagine if someone said, hey, cell phones, if you're on your cell phone for an hour a day, you're gonna get cancer when you're 50. Imagine, are you gonna be able to take, not use your phone for less than an hour? I'm gonna have to turn off social media. You know, hard, it's, it's a lot harder. No more Instagram stories. Yeah. It's a lot harder to change it when it's so easy to us in, in, in our nature, but then it might be too late. Yeah, 
Moment Damn. of silence. Moment of silence. Because you just spoke some truth, man. Couldn't say better myself here, PD. There you go. That's a new catchphrase. That's a new catchphrase. We're not. And what we, what we learned today as well after the gym. What did the guy say? Keep it smooth. Keep it smooth. Keep it smooth, man. Keep it smooth, Oakland. All right, guys. This is today's episode. What do we cover? Aspirin. If you're not susceptible to heart disease, don't take it. Ask your doctor. If he's on that old news, pull up an article from the American Heart Association and shine some light on that man. Yeah, you teach him. You teach him. Drink some pea milk instead of almond milk. Peas isn't peas, like the vegetable pea. Exactly. Um, abortions, that's just up to you. Decide what you <laughs> want. Um, and then CRISPR, you should think maybe you want a genetically modified baby. Use it on your kids. Be part it's of coming. Research. <laughs> it's coming. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next week, man. Take care. Subscribe. Like. Follow. Comment. Anything else around those lines. Have a great day from Oakland. Take it easy.